If you would, would you take your Bibles and let's turn to Leviticus chapter 5 as we continue our study through this Old Testament book. And let's turn to Leviticus chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from verse 14 down to verse 7 of chapter 6. And that sounds like a lot. It's not that long of a reading, actually. And so if you are able and willing, as is our custom, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he's done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven." If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he's oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. And give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me please? Indeed our God, this is your word. And sometimes as we read your word, we're tempted to struggle with the things with which we struggle and say this, Lord, is it really that big of a deal? And yet, Lord, we fail to acknowledge your holiness, your perfection, our own sinfulness, and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. So, Lord, we'd ask this morning that you would take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts and mold us and make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. Would you exalt the name of your son, our Christ, this day, we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite rewritten hymns is a hymn called Come Ye Sinners. It's probably familiar to many of you. And I love the Indelible Grace version, that version that we do here at Trinity Grace Church. And the second verse of that hymn kept ringing and coming up in the back of my mind as I read and studied this passage this past week. That verse, it says, Come ye needy, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. 
And then it says, without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Now, it may seem strange that that particular verse of that song came to mind, particularly as we read this next section and the fifth of these five offerings presented here in the beginning of Leviticus to, to what's often called these guilt offerings. And, and these guilt offerings have to do with sins committed in regard to some breach of faith against the Lord in the ritual uh, worship of God's people and then against one's neighbor. And this sacrifice, this guilt offering is unique from the other four in the way that, in the way that this one also required some sort of restitution. That is to say, some sort of payment along with it. In fact, some headings in your Bibles, depending on what translation that you use, um, may, say, may call it the trespass offering. Others may call it the satisfaction offering, and still yet others may call it the reparation offering. And so, we may think, in fact, that as we read that, there is a coming to the Lord with money here in Leviticus chapter 5. And yet, fundamentally, fundamentally, we need to keep in mind a proper understanding of what we're reading about here, as well as what we understand about repentance. We do not come to the Lord to buy his favor, but we give, and we even at times pay restitution in response to his favor toward us. That's what the scripture teaches us. Because you see here, even in this passage, the heart issue, the heart issue is repentance. It's repentance. We spoke of it in our confession together as we read. And, and had we continued in that particular section of our confession, it would have, we would have read this. Repentance is not to be relied on as any payment of the penalty for sin or any cause of the pardon for sin, which is God's act of free grace in Christ. So fundamentally, foundationally, we must understand that Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And yet, and yet, repentance is such a necessary part of redemption that our confession goes on to say this, that no one may expect pardon without it. Repentance is a necessary part of our redemption. What does repentance look like? What does it mean to Repent. When we sin, what should our response be to that sin? This passage here in Leviticus 5 and 6 is important in our understanding of that application. It is important in our understanding of repentance. And some of you, some of you may this morning be saying something like, Oh my. We have another one of these offerings or sacrifices that we're going to be talking about. It seems in many ways that it's the same thing over and over and over again. All the rituals, 
all the rules, all the regulations, all the detail, all the blood, all the fat part, all the guts, all this stuff having to do, it's almost exhausting, isn't it? Even to listen week in and week out. And some of you may be thinking just that. Gosh, it's every week we're talking about this. Uh, but brothers and sisters, we're only talking and hearing about it. Let that sink in. Could you imagine seeing it, participating in it, being required by it, watching it, smelling it on a regular basis, day in and day out? Talk about exhaustion. Talk about continually being reminded of your sin. Talking about the need for the shedding of blood being continually before your eyes over and over and over again. Can you imagine the saints of old? Can you imagine the saints of old, how they might have yearned for this to cease? How they might have yearned for rest from it. How they might yearn for the one to come in whom all these things would finally find fulfillment. How they might yearn for the one who would be that once for all sacrifice for sin when the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, would come and bear, uh, bear um, the grief and carry their sorrows. The one who would be pierced for our iniquities or pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon whom was the chastisement that brought us peace and by whose wounds we are healed. Could you imagine the saints of hold? How they might have yearned for that day. And I wonder for us on this side of it, that we don't see it day in and day out. We don't smell it day in and day out. Even on a weekly basis, we hear of it. We're minded of our sin. I wonder, do we look back and glory and wonder in the rest that we have in Christ Jesus? Yes, it is again another sacrifice. Yes, it does again put our sin before our eyes. But it does again point us to the one who is that once for all sacrifice, the Lord Jesus. And so as we look at that this morning, I want us to look simply as it's given to us in the first section, an, an unintentional breach of faith. And then secondly, an intentional breach of faith. And so as we begin, we're going to notice something. We're going to notice again that we have a new section. Um, in fact, both of these are new sections, though they... But though they both represent the guilt offering, and we see that by the opening phrase in each of those things, one in verse 14 of chapter 5, and then another one in verse 1 of chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so this is an, each of these are new sections, both dealing with the guilt offering and yet having a difference even between the two of them. The emphasis in both 
or, or the emphasis of the guilt offering as a whole in both sections really is the, the restitution involved. The emphasis here is the, the, the sorrow for sin and the fruit of repentance. It is, it's God's desire for his people to have the desire for things to be made right. Again, we're talking about repentance here. And, and you may have noticed um, by the two, uh, as evidenced by the two division titles, that, that both of these have to do with a breach of faith. Or to put it another way, has to do with a breach of loyalty. Or even yet another way, has to do with a breach of faithfulness. A brokenness there. And in the first part, in the first part of this, in chapter 5, it has to do with, with the Lord's property. A breach of faith in regard to the Lord's property or parts of the ritual life of the people of Israel or the cultic life and worship of the people of Israel. And it's really kind of vague here how it's presented. There are no real specific examples given in the first part of this. We see in verse 15 that it says, anyone sins unintentionally in, in any of the holy things of the Lord. And then we see again in verse 17, doing anything or any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done though he did not know it, and then he realizes his guilt. And so it's fairly broad here. There's no real specifics mentioned. And so we might be left to wonder, well, what are some of these things that might have been in this category? Well, we've already learned some of them in, in previous offerings that we've already studied. So just to remind us, um, to, to get, kind of give us a better idea, maybe mentioning a couple of different things as well, what some of those things might have been. One, like maybe making a vow before the Lord, and then forgetting what it is that you had promised. Or maybe, maybe somebody had touched a dead carcass of some kind, even done so accidentally and had been made unclean, and then went on into some sort of, uh, some part of the worship ritual. And so thereby sinning against the Lord. Or maybe, maybe somebody had just simply become unclean without even knowing it. Maybe they'd eaten something. Maybe they'd eaten something that had been declared unclean and you didn't know you had. Maybe it just something that had been mixed in with the food you were eating and it's a food they weren't allowed to eat and now they're unclean. Or maybe you used something, maybe like a utensil that was supposed to be reserved for temple worship or temple service and it was supposed to be cleansed in a certain way and maybe you used it thereby defiling it and then it was used in temple worship. Supposed to be clean, but it wasn't. I mean, think about that. Think about all the rules and regulations for the tabernacle. Someone could make a mistake in regard to a number of different areas, couldn't they? I mean, there's so many different ways they could have done that. Think about how easy it would have been to accidentally transgress one of the laws of God within tabernacle worship within even the cultic life of Israel. Think about easy, how easy that would have been. Again, how exhausting that would be. How exhausting. And not only just exhausting and, oh goodness, I did that, that was an accident, now that made me unclean, and then I did that, now I'm, now I'm guilty before the Lord. Not only that, think of it in these terms. I wonder if I did that right. I don't think I did that right. Did I mess up? Oh my goodness, now I'm carrying all this guilt around with me. 
That was part of, that's part of what the guilt offering was for. I mean, how, how nerve-wracking it would be to live in that way. And even, even in our ministry here, within the life of the church, on this side of the cross, with all the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, knowing, knowing that His blood has been spilt once for all, and still yet knowing that God is a holy God and that approaching the Lord in worship is a serious matter. Approaching the Lord and ministering in His name is a serious issue. You know, it's preaching the Word as a minister of the Gospel. It's a privilege. Administering communion or the Lord's Supper as a minister of the Gospel is a privilege. Administering, administering baptism as a minister of the Gospel is a privilege. It's also a great responsibility. Some of you know this, probably not many of you, but I've been at the same church for 20 years, been in ministry for 30 years, and did you know I still get nervous? I get nervous to preach the, preach the Word. I get nervous to do the Lord's Supper. I get nervous to do baptisms. Sure, certainly, some of that is just my fear of man, not wanting to mess up and somebody think I'm an idiot, but... That's beyond the scope now. Everybody already knows. But part of it is my fear of the Lord. I don't want to mess up within the worship of God. I remember one baptism years ago, we were still in the Seventh-day Adventist building, and as soon as the service was over, I ran up to an elder, and I didn't even remember the, the sermon that day because... I was so worried about this baptism. I thought I had messed up. And I ran to an elder right after the service and I said, did I even baptize that child in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit? Did I? And he assured me, thankfully, that I had. But I thought I'd done it wrong. I didn't want to make a mistake before the Lord. And be guilty of making a mistake within the worship of the Lord God. On Sunday here in this building, one time I got confused and skipped the bread. And I went right to the wine in the Lord's Supper. I messed up. I was guilty of making a mistake in the house of the Lord. And one of the things that we learned from this passage here, that even mistakes can be sinful. Even mistakes can be sinful. Mistakes can make one unclean. And, and not only that, but ignorance, as we learned last week, and again here, ignorance is no excuse. I didn't know doesn't cleanse. But God in His grace, God in His mercy had provided for what one would do when this happened in ancient Israel. He did something and he gave them a ritual that they might be cleansed of their guilt. Now, ultimately speaking, they didn't come except through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in their everyday living, something, something that could give them the freedom of living under that guilt. And notice what it was. Even this, 
a ram without blemish. Okay, so we've already talked about this in the past. This ram, it's the most expensive thing somebody could bring. And we might think for something like this, you know, little mistakes, little mistakes in regard to worship, little mistakes in regard to relationships with people. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. No, this is a ram. This is the most costly thing. It is an expensive thing to cover one's unfaithfulness. And not only was the sacrifice itself expensive, in the first case, a fifth of its worth was to be added to it. In other words, another 20%. Another 20% of its worth. So restitution was to be made by what was cheated or what was left out. And, a 20, and 20% was to be added. These, these things are important to the Lord. And we may say on this side of the cross, exactly how does that apply to today? Because we don't have all that ritual. The heart in worship is important to the Lord. And I wonder for us, I wonder for us if we think of worship in that way, that we come into worship cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we see it as a serious matter. Or if it's just something else that we do throughout the week. Do we consider the cost that it has taken to bring us into this place, into the presence of the all-holy God? Do we consider that? And you may be thinking, well, Chris, come on. This is in the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament God. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't help but to think of Ananias and Sapphira. Their names may sound like they're in the Old Testament, but they're not. They're in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira in the early church, they were, they were bringing monies together for the early church, and Ananias and Sapphira had sold their land. They didn't have to, but they, they wanted to. They said they wanted to, so they did. They sold their land. But in giving their donation to the church... They kept some back for themselves while presenting it as if it were all of it. You see, that's the issue. They didn't even have to sell their land. They could have kept it all for themselves, but they didn't. They sold it and then presented it as if it were all of it. So what did they do? Well, Peter comes to them and what does he say? Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And if we don't think that's a big deal, guess what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias told the lie first and he dropped dead right there on the spot. And then a little bit later, Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. She told the same lie and Sapphira dropped dead on the spot. That's a serious thing before the Lord. You know, our sensitive ears mounted on the side of a swollen head of pride don't want to hear about the holy perfection, the holy justice, the holy wrath of an all-holy God. Somebody mentioned to me after the first service, and what about Uzzah? In the Old Testament, he just reached out. He was trying to catch the ark from falling. He was trying to do a good thing. Well, you see, Uzzah determined that he would decide what a good thing was. 
and not obey the Lord. He too fell dead on the spot. We don't like to hear about the holy wrath of an all-holy God. And often, brothers and sisters, because of that, neither, neither do we see the necessity for the grace and the mercy and the kindness of that same all-holy God. And there's something else we ought to notice as we move to the next section here. And I almost titled the two divisions. I almost titled the two divisions, sins against the Lord and then sins against a brother or our neighbor. And in a sense, that would be right. It would be accurate. But it wouldn't be precise. And it wouldn't be precise because in both of these cases, in both of these sections, it is a breach of faith against the Lord. You know, I think we sometimes think you know, I can see why um, sins against the Lord are taken so seriously. But sins against one's neighbor, that's not as important because after all, a neighbor isn't God. And it's more serious to sin against God than it is to sin against a neighbor, right? But notice here, notice, notice what's required in the breach of faith against um, the Lord regarding a neighbor. What's required is a ram without blemish or its equivalent. In other words, it's the very same sacrifice. It's the very same cost. Why? Because to sin against one's neighbor is first and foremost to sin against God. I'll say that again. To sin against one's neighbor is first and foremost to sin against God. To sin against a neighbor is to break the law of God. And we tend to forget that. Or maybe in our own self-righteousness, maybe in our own pride, we justify our sin against our neighbor as if we're the ones that get to determine God's law in a particular situation. That we get to determine what God's law is or is not. Well, in this section, the Lord gives a few specific examples of these types of sins or these types of breaches of loyalty. And these aren't unintentional. They're intentional. The deceiving of a neighbor in regard or um, in a matter of deposit or security. The robbing of a neighbor. The oppression of a neighbor. Or maybe he found something lost and he lied about it. Maybe he swore falsely. These are all breaches of loyalty. And for Israel, again, there's a ritual for that. A ram without blemish or its equivalent. And then to his neighbor, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. Again, this idea of restitution. An additional 20% of making things right Again, getting to the heart of it, getting to the matter of repentance. Are we grieved over our sin? Do we desire to see things made right before the Lord and before our neighbor? To cite another New Testament example, and maybe you're already thinking of it. I can't help but to think of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Um, most of us, if not all of us, would know the story. At least the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. 
Thank you. And a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Well, Jesus met him there at the sycamore tree. Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. Like most tax collectors were apt to be, a crook, a thief, greedy often. But the Lord changed his heart. And Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to my poor, or I give to the poor. Half, my, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Again, what do we see here? Yes, we see restitution plus some, but what do we see here? We see a heart changed by God. That's what we see. And for Zacchaeus, it was fourfold. It wasn't just 20%. And we see that elsewhere. There were some that required that. In fact, Roman law required a fourfold restitution in some things. And what does Jesus say to Zacchaeus? He says to Zacchaeus, he says, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. So what do we, what do we find? Again, fundamentally, foundationally, principally speaking, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't buy his way to salvation. Zacchaeus didn't earn his salvation. But because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Zacchaeus here demonstrates true belief and true repentance by giving back and giving beyond. And I think sometimes when we think of this type of stuff, particularly these sins that are listed here in the second part, we tend to think about these, these sins in a, in a macro sense. Or um, let me put it this way. We, we tend to think that we're protected from the conviction of the law of God when we keep it out there somewhere. When we keep it out there, when we keep it, and, and Noel prayed about this even in the pastoral prayer, it fits so well. When we keep it to those people, those, those bad people out there, while we stand back and we say, thank God I'm not like them. And we keep all these things out there and we always take the Bible, we take the law of God and we go, oh man, look at the world, it's a mess. Look at these people, it's a mess. And what we don't do often enough and what we're called to do every time is to take the mirror of the word of God and turn it this way. And let it, and let it examine our own hearts rather than judging others. We keep it out there. We say things like, Oh, yeah, those thieves, they, they, they stole money from someone. Oh, those liars, they lied under oath. But I'd challenge us to think here in the micro sense as well, the personal sense. The way in which we can do these things and then attempt to justify them. The way that we bend the rules to benefit ourselves at the expense of our neighbor. 
the way that we oppress others. And in our culture today, I know, you know, for this one, we often think of this between the races or between the classes out there. And brothers and sisters, hear me well, that's sinful and it's wicked and it's a proper application. But it is also easy for us to excuse ourselves by blaming institutions and never examine our own hearts. Let me say that again. It is easy for us to excuse ourselves by blaming institutions and never examine our own hearts. It may be happening in our own relationships, in our own homes, between employer and employee, between friends, between husbands and wives. There may be these kinds of breaches of loyalty within marriages here in our own body. And as we've seen here, and we've seen it all along, haven't we? I mean, sin is a big deal before the Lord. Sin against Him, sin against our neighbor. Or after all, sin against the neighbor is sin against Him again. But brothers and sisters, we are not studying the law just to have our sin exposed. Surely it does that. And surely some of you, probably, whoo, this is heavy. Leviticus is going to be long. Yeah, there are some points in Leviticus where we're going to look at it and we're going to go, ooh, I'm tired. But oh, may it drive you to the Lord Jesus. And may you find rest in Him. We aren't studying the law just to have our sin exposed. Surely we do stand naked, condemned before the law of God. But the beauty of the law, while it points out our sin and while it cannot save, it points us to the one who can and does. We're studying the law so that Christ might be exalted. And we're reminded here too, just like we, we have been in the previous weeks over and over again, there is forgiveness. We see the same phrase, he shall be forgiven. Same phrase. I referenced Isaiah 53 in the introduction and let me do so again in the conclusion. Verse 10, I will say one short thing after I read this and then that's it. So listen closely. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There may be many of you even this morning 
that come here and you have been bearing the weight of your iniquity. You cannot bear it. You cannot bear it. Jesus can. And he has. There's rest in him. So rest in him. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this morning and the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus. May we indeed rest in the Lord Jesus. And as we fellowship this afternoon, would you be with us? Would you make it sweet? Lord, would you encourage your people? And may we leave this place today refreshed because we've heard from you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.